Hey, do you remember when you first went to college or university? For many people around the world, their first experience of a Canadian urban center is when they load up their suitcase and head off to school. Our guest today is David Burke. He's at Ryerson University, located in the heart of downtown Toronto. Now, normally at this time of year, as people are going back to school, uh, there's a lot of excitement in the air. And this year, though, I think uh, there's a little less excitement and perhaps a little more anxiety, a little more trepidation. As I uh, am walking around here on the campus of University of Windsor, uh, what should be bustling with students is more like a, a ghost town. It feels like off-season, even though school has started up. So what's going on in the lives of students uh, as they head off to school this year? Uh, for some uh, that grew up in the church and uh, they were on fire for God in their youth group, they end up in college or university and uh, away from all of their support and their family and all of the things that uh, made them feel secure. Uh, many begin to question their faith or leave their faith. David Burke uh, felt the call of God and became a Mission Canada worker in the city that he grew up in, in, this, in Toronto. And uh, he and a team of others at Ryerson University are making a difference in the lives of students that are coming from all over the world to study. Now, while students normally would be coming uh, looking forward to urban life, looking forward to being with uh, new friends and, and uh, being able to enjoy more than just the books. Uh, instead of this being a time of excitement for a lot of students, this is actually a time of increased anxiety and trepidation. Working uh, online from their dorm room or staying at home and taking courses online so uh, ministries like David has to students has, have to adapt and change and find ways to connect with students uh, where it is uh, not as easy as it was in the days of people wandering freely about. Well, I think you're going to enjoy this interview with, with David Burke and I interviewed him earlier this year. Let's go to that interview uh, right now and uh, meet David Burke. So David, if I was a girl from Fleming, Saskatchewan, or I was a young man from uh, Lagos, Nigeria, mm -hmm. coming for the first time, first year, to Ryerson University in downtown Toronto, mm -hmm. um, talk to me about what happens to students coming for the first time into downtown Toronto to be a part of Ryerson? Mm -hmm. Great question. Uh, it's interesting specifically that you said Lagos, uh, Nigeria, because we've had three students specifically from Lagos, Ni Nigeria. Um, and uh, Ryerson has always been a really popular location for international students um, because it is so downtown 
the experience that you would get at Ryerson, that you do get at Ryerson, is uh, probably different than um, any other university. Mm-hmm. And so some students come because of the specific like program that's offered. Some come because of what they've heard about kind of the subculture at Ryerson. Um, the experience, whether it's the student from Saskatchewan or the student from Nigeria, uh, is would depend on on the kind of person, I suppose. Uh, but I, largely, it would be one of being able to be exactly who they are um, without having to uh, assimilate at all. Um, so being able to be themselves with respect to, again, if they're coming to, from Nigeria, being able to be exactly who they are and, and bring all of the facets of, of their culture and their heritage and their identity and um, same from the student coming from the small town. Um, they can be as involved uh, or, or as little involved as they want. And so Ryerson is very much a commuter campus. The vast majority of students live in the GTA, some of them the outer GTA and commute in. Um, there is residence, but it's very small. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the vast majority of students, it's cheaper to live either in apartments spattered around downtown um, or Scarborough or North York, et cetera. So students that are commuters particularly have a hard time finding community on campus um, because Ryerson, one of the things that it's known for is enabling students to come in, study, do what they need to do, and then get on with their life back home. And so uh, sometimes students struggle to find connection uh, on campus. Sometimes it's because they're connected back home and sometimes, you know, to the student that's mm-hmm. coming from elsewhere, um, they actually want connection, but because the campus isn't necessarily geared toward that, um, Ryerson isn't a campus that gets you involved, uh, unless you want to be involved. Um, and so there's lots of campus clubs and groups and causes, uh, for students to get involved in, but a student would have to more often than not seek that out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, community doesn't tend to happen at Ryerson on its own. Mm-hmm. With uh, Before the time that we're currently in, mm-hmm. uh, what has been the average uh, population mm-hmm. of Ryerson? Yeah, so when, when we started in 2013, it was 28,000. Uh, and... As of 2019, it was uh, 47,000. So it's uh, grown really quickly. It's the size of a small city. Exactly, which is, that's very much how I I think about it, is a city within a city um, with its own subculture and its own values and its own identity. And because of the way that the downtown is situated, you can actually stroll through Ryerson and not even realize that that you're there. And Mm -hmm. so in addition to students, we have young families, we have homeless people, we have addicts, we have kind of every person from every walk of life. It's kind of this, this beautiful fishbowl of the downtown core, uh, which I love. Yeah. Now you grew up in Toronto Mm -hmm. and, uh, I know, uh, your parents, Paul and Vicky, Mm -hmm. uh, I've met, met your sister Mm -hmm. and, uh, you all grew up, uh, there together. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, when you think back to uh, the early days, uh, and, and in fact, in fact I, um, I went to school with your parents, mm. so that's how old I am. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
But when you think back to your early days as a kid growing mm. up in, in Toronto, and you think about the Toronto that you're in now as an mm. adult, um, what kind of things have changed just in your lifetime mm. in your city? Mm -hmm. So the context that I grew up in church-wise, my, my parents uh, planted a church called Cornerstone that was very much geared towards um, not just people who didn't like church necessarily, but for yeah. people who weren't welcome in church or people who felt unwelcome in church. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, like I grew ch normal church for me was church with, um, you know, somebody sitting the, the, the pew next to us that was, uh, intoxicated, um, somebody who, who was disheveled, but then at the same time, there, there were people there that were very affluent. And so it was this beautiful mix of different cultures, different socioeconomic backgrounds and people who, some who wore their brokenness on their sleeve and mm -hmm. some who hid it a little bit better. So that was, that was what normal church was for me. And, and, um, I love that, and that that really informed the way that I see church and the way that I yeah. that I see Jesus. It was, um, you know, kind of the line that was drawn was uh, as long as someone was <laughs> was clothed in some way, um, they they were welcome to come. And yeah. so people would come without shoes sometimes, and they were given shoes. And even sometimes we would have people that would come, you know, without shirts or pants, and mm -hmm. um, and they were they were given a shirt or pants and. Um, so there was this beautiful, messy nature of, of faith. Yeah. Um, and I'm really thankful that I had that. So to your question, what's changed in Toronto over the last 20 years or so from, from being a kid to now, gentrification has meant that poverty has been moved around. Um, mm -hmm. so, you know, the, the neighborhood that, that Cornerstone was in, um, you know, over time became more known as a, a more affluent neighborhood yeah. and people that lived there were, um, were, you know, pushed elsewhere to another neighborhood. And then, um, you know, once that neighborhood was gentrified, then they were pushed to another neighborhood. And mm -hmm. so um, I would say that the you know, systemic issues that, that cause and perpetuate pro uh, poverty mm -hmm. haven't necessarily been addressed mm -hmm. so much as the, the, the surface level symptom has, has just been kind of moved around. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes people will come to the city and be like, wow, it looks, you know, so much quote unquote nicer, um, than it did in, in the nineties or the eighties, et cetera. Um, it's, it's still the same city. Uh, yeah. it, it's just those pockets of, of poverty and, and messiness and beauty, mm -hmm. um, have just been kind of relocated time mm. and time again. Uh, so, it's still the same city, um, I think, just organized differently, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Your, uh, your parents, Paul and Vicky, uh, have in their uh, lifetimes been such a, such a gift to Toronto mm -hmm. and, and a gift to, uh, to our tribe, the, the Pentecostal Assemblies as well. You know, they um, helped show a lot of us uh, what grace looks like mm. in, in the urban core. Mm. And, uh, so yeah, that's, uh, that's a, a great heritage that, that you were, uh, born into. 
Um, how did Jesus get your attention and convince you to pursue a life of uh, ministry at Ryerson University? Mm-hmm. So I, uh, I knew that I was called to campus ministry when I was in high school. And so uh, when God started to kind of whisper that to me, I was like, okay, cool, cool. Got to finish high school first. Um, <laughs> you know, got to get my post-secondary degree. And so kind of put it on the back burner, figuring that it would be, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years after graduating um, from, from Bible college. And um you know, every so often God would just kind of whisper again, uh, you know, about the campus and, and the need on, on, on campuses. And when I was in my fourth year, uh, it just so happened that I was doing my internship uh, at a church that was trying to reach onto a campus. And so a part of what I was doing, uh, you know, in my internship was being a part of that outreach onto campus. They were doing uh, Alpha on Algonquin College in in Ottawa, mm. and it's just funny how God works all things together. Something Which church that was that. Woodville. Woodville. Oh, yeah. yeah. Fantastic Were you church. With, there with Mark Scar? So, Mark Scar is a lead pastor, and I got yeah. to do a bunch. I've done so many hospital visits with Mark Scar. Like, I was there for oh, four man. months, and, you know, I probably did, I don't even know, a, a fifth of the hospital visits that, that he actually went on during that time he took me on, and I think I did like over 30 visits wow. with him. Wow. If so, I was in a hospital bed dying, yeah. I would want Mark Scar oh, to my come goodness. and pray for me. Yeah, absolutely incredible. And so, so I mean, that had a huge effect on me. And, and uh, during the time of being involved on Al, you know, Algonquin College, God very much took it off the, the back burner mm-hmm. and put it on the front burner. And started to whisper louder and louder about uh, campus and and very much clarified for me that that when I graduated it was that was the time and I, I remember having this ongoing conversation for for a while over that time where uh, I kind of think it think of it as my um, Moses-esque conversation and that God was asking me to go and I had all these reasons why I was saying no. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, God, I'm, I'm too young. I'm too inexperienced. You know, I, I will have just finished my degree and, you know, I've just been married. All, all the different reasons, all yeah. of my own insecurities and inadequacies. And I felt so strongly that God said, those are all the reasons that I want you to go now because you know that nothing is going to happen in your own strength. And that's very much been every step of the road. You know, our, our, our prayer, among many other things, has been that God would do something so much uh, wilder and, and crazier and, and beyond my own capabilities that people would be able to look on and say, I know David, and I know that he's not capable of that. Ergo, <laughs> it has to be God. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just been cool to, to kind of lean into that and um, so you're happy to be God's wingman. hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you, you, um, uh, went through some steps to get yourself placed mm-hmm. at Ryerson, mm-hmm. uh, Mission Canada. Talk about some of the steps of, uh, discerning that mm-hmm. and, and how you ended up there and what you started to do. Yeah, so I actually got connected with Mission Canada again when I was in high school uh, with, at the time, the director of campus ministry in Canada was Rob Powell. Mm. And I uh, 
honestly, I don't even remember how I got connected with Rob, but I, I just remember that I did and was talking with him. And at the time it was George Warner. Um, and, and they were very much like fanning the flame, um, and really excited and very much kind of pouring gasoline on this, this, this fire that God Mm -hmm. was creating in my heart. Mm -hmm. And so um, I had known about Mission Canada right from from the time that uh, that God had started to speak to me about campus ministry. Um, and as things kind of converged, I happened to stumble into a meeting um, downtown Toronto where a, a bunch of Payak pastors were talking about the need for uh, a Pentecostal ministry or a Pentecostal presence at Ryerson University. And so I'd already known God was calling us to campus. And so I was like, hmm wasn't supposed to be in this meeting. I wonder if this is God. Like, I wonder if this isn't just a coincidence. And so from there, I started spending time online researching the demographics and statistics and trying to get a, an understanding of what the campus is like, but also spending time physically on the campus and, and walking around and watching students. Who are they? What are they doing? Where are they going? Um, and, and trying to listen to what the Spirit of God would say. It was one thing that I was really impacted by with my parents is they told me this story of walking up and down Young Street um, right when they you know, first came to Toronto and, and that they did that because they were watching people to get a burden for them, listening mm-hmm. to the heart of the Father. Mm-hmm. And so uh, over that period of, of walking the campus and listening to the Spirit and um, doing research into demographics, God just made it so clear to me that Ryerson was to be um, my home, was mm-hmm. to be my home away from home, that that's where he was calling me. So that was when? 2000... It would have been 2012, early wow. 2012. Yeah. And so it took about six months to a year going through the process to become a Mission Canada worker, mm-hmm. get credentials with um, EUND, mm-hmm. um, and Which is our Eastern Ontario yeah, district. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. With, with PAYOC and, um, got approved as a mission Canada worker, mm-hmm. uh, went through the process to fundraise and then, uh, September 10th, 2013, um, is when we, after going through all that process, that's when we launched Lifeline. Mm. Paul talks about this ministry of reconciliation Mm. that we've been given Mm. and uh, reconciliation is something that is uh, called upon where there are hostilities and barriers and every reason to uh, hate and distance Mm. uh, from from others Mm -hmm. Uh, so how has uh, your ministry at ryerson been about reconciliation what Mm. does it mean to have a a christian presence Mm -hmm. uh, or even a pentecostal presence Mm -hmm. uh, in an environment that uh, is it a environment that needs reconciliation to the the claims of Mm. jesus Mm -hmm. 100 um ryerson is a environment where i would say that the spiritual soil is is hard uh mm-hmm. you know sometimes i've even jokingly said that there is soil but there's concrete above it that you know we had to <laughs> first smash through the concrete to to get to the soil and um, i would say that ryerson is um not anti-christ but anti um anti-religion mm-hmm. anti-christianity mm-hmm. um and i think it uh, because of what it has come to know of 
certain facets of, of Christian religion, it's mm-hmm. come to associate those things with Christ. And so um, a lot of times we're having to first try and undo or help them unlearn things that they have heard about Jesus that are not true. Right. So because Ryerson is right at Young and Dundas, most students get to campus via Dundas Station. And you'll know if you come out of Dundas Station, you're likely to bump into, literally physically bump into, maybe not now with COVID, but bump into um, one or two of uh, at least three street preachers that are there. And mm-hmm. um, uh, the ones that I that I can think of specifically and, and the ones that I know that are there um, tend to, to, to preach a message of uh, wrath and hatred. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so um, that is most Ryerson students' first exposure to Jesus, mm-hmm. quote-unquotes, and, and faith and religion every single day. So by the time we meet them later on that day, the 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 preconceived notions that they have of of who God is um, are are very different than the God that we're trying to paint a picture of, mm-hmm. uh, and so it is difficult to sometimes convince uh, convince students that that what they have heard is is not necessarily true, and so I think um, what we've always tried to do at Lifeline instead of Lifeline is sorry Lifeline is is the name of the campus church uh, okay. that um, that I pastor and get a chance to serve at is instead of trying to tear down this pre-existing idea um, paint a a better one yeah. paint a a truer one I you know I think the presence of God, the gospel, the good news is like a beautiful painting. It's mm-hmm. like a song. It's like mm-hmm. a symphony. And so we're trying to do it justice as best as mm-hmm. we know how. Mm-hmm. And instead of raging against the church, mm-hmm. whatever that means, we want to uh, be an expression of it that that is maybe more in keeping with what we read in the scriptures. Um, and so specifically my heart beats for and breaks for students who have felt marginalized by the church, mm-hmm. um, students who have felt unwelcome in the church, um, atheists, agnostics, LGBTQ plus students, mm-hmm. um, international students, um, people uh, who have been hurt, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's that's my heart. That's my mm-hmm. hope. That's my jam. Tell tell me some tell me some stories, uh, happy stories. Mm. Uh, uh, people that uh, in your time at Ryerson, where you've just seen uh, things that you know brought brought uh, a sense of um, purpose and joy and, mm. and uh, excitement to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, for me those stories are are the ones where um, students find us somehow, whether where they mm. you know stumble in because they hear music. Um, coming out of the room that we use in in the student center, and and they stay and they get a chance to hear um, God spoken of in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, those those are always my my favorite. Um, I think of um, one student in in particular who we've gotten a chance to journey with for for a number of years, and and even now post graduation, who. Um, when we first met them, very much uh, identified as a as an atheist, um, and uh, wasn't just necessarily like um, there is no God, so like it is what it is, but more so like um, anti anti God, I guess Anti-theist. you could say. There you go, yeah. and 
you know, over the course of years, having this particular student, you know, come once in a while to then come more often to then come every week to then come to Bible studies to then come to social events and, and to have this person very much become a part of our church family. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, I think that that's the goal is that people would, um, that they would belong first and mm-hmm. then believe and then, and then become. And so, um, it's, it's been a number of years now, even since, uh, since this person has graduated and, um, you know, they haven't crossed the line, so to speak as yet, but to have uh, conversations with them now is so much different, um, than, you know, all those years ago. And, and I remember one particular conversation where they said, you know, I'm not, I'm not there yet. I don't, I don't believe yet, mm-hmm. but, but if I do, it would have to be in the kind of God that you guys have been talking about all these years. One who, who is for me and not against me and one who loves me and one who created me with a purpose. And so mm-hmm. that for me just fills me with such joy of somebody yeah. who, um, was, you know, far, far from God. God wasn't far from her, but, but yeah. she was far from him. And, um, I, uh, I love prodigal sons and daughters coming home. Oh, and, yeah. and I, I know, and I believe that, that this, that this person will, will come home. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm really looking forward to that. Another, um, uh, student who, um, you know, many people would maybe describe as, is is further from God, you know, maybe more liberal and, um, believing things that, that wouldn't necessarily be in keeping with, uh, traditional church folk. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, again, this, this person just became a part of our, our, our church family and, you know, started coming and started coming more often. And the first time that they came, they came because they were invited by one of our leaders. And, and um, this leader of ours, it was her birthday. And instead of, you know, doing the things that she would have done in the past, going out with friends, et cetera, she decided that she wanted to have her, her birthday at our service that night. And so wow. I invited all these students who um, who didn't yet know God. And that night happened to be uh, a crazy snowstorm. And still a few of her friends came and... Um, after the service had finished, we were having family dinner as we do every night and eating together. And I was talking to, to this one student and they were saying, you know, I, I almost didn't come because of all the things that I've, I've experienced from the church before. Um, but I'm so glad that I did. And then they came back the week after and the week after and the week after and the week after and getting a chance to build a relationship with this person and getting a chance to know this person more and more and more. Mm. And, um, a number of months into that journey, um, I uh, during our time of worship, I, I was playing the the cajon, and I opened my eyes at one point and, and noticed that this person had their eyes closed during worship, and um, that that wasn't typical for this person. They you know they would be there for worship, but mm-hmm. would just kind of stand there and yeah. Um, and so their eyes were closed, and I just got this sense in my heart that that God was doing something, and I was like, yes, God, like so excited, and. Um, uh, later that evening, uh, come to hear the story that um, this particular student, uh, during that particular um, moment of worship, started to started to feel something that they hadn't felt before, and uh, you know they said they started to feel really warm, and uh, that the warmth kind of turned into this heat, and uh, and and they just felt like they needed to close their eyes, and so they closed their eyes and. 
and they closed their eyes, they described how they saw this, this light. Um, and, and this light was like just beautiful and, and, and peaceful. And even though their eyes were closed, they weren't looking at the screen. They had never heard the song before. Um, they all of a sudden just knew the lyrics to the song and so started to sing along the lyrics to this song that they had never heard before. And it started to describe how in that moment they, they just felt something that they couldn't describe, something that um, felt like something they'd never felt before. And, and I'm, I'm standing there listening to to them describe this experience just grinning ear to ear as i am now and i was like dude like that's the presence of god yeah. like that's where you were made to be that's yeah. where you were born to, to to exist that's that's home and they were like oh wow like i i didn't know that and so for it just gets me so jazzed to hear people who don't have any sort of churchy vocabulary or right. spiritual vernacular to describe what is the presence of God. Yeah. Um, to me, that is good news. That is yeah. prodigal sons and daughters coming from darkness and oh, literally yeah. into light, right? And so, again, that journey is not finished yet, but I am so excited for the day when um, they come to understand that the name of that light is Jesus. Mm. Um, and uh, so... Well, it sounds uh, like an awful lot of what you're doing um, is is reconciliation. Mm. You know, you're you've got a ministry of reconciliation to help remove the barriers and mm. and give people an opportunity to see Jesus as He is, and mm. not based on the gossip that they've heard about mm-hmm. Him. And uh, that's that's beautiful. I'm sure that. There's also been some um, heartbreaking times when mm. uh, people that you've um, you know, given part of your life to and mm-hmm. and uh, had had seen seen uh, potential in and prayed for mm-hmm. and uh, then uh, you know things didn't go the way that um, that you hoped. Mm-hmm. Any any sad stories that just kind of messed you up. Lots, um, yeah. you know, as, as much as there's these beautiful stories that fill us with joy and hope, there's ones that, you know, uh, sometimes I, I will drive home from, uh, from an evening, from a service, Bible study, whatever it is, and just feel totally deflated and be mm-hmm. like, God, like what, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I wish that those were few and far between, um, but, but there's definitely stories where, where we journey with students for a number of years and, and they graduate and we don't see, um, we don't see them come to know Jesus. And, mm-hmm. um, that, that first story that I shared, uh, is, is one of those stories. And it's, it's interesting because I, I remember so specifically the, um, the last service that they were at before graduation. And, and I knew that that was going to be the last time, or I thought that was going to be the last time that we would see them mm-hmm. and praying God, like, I, you know, I'm going to give an opportunity for them, for them to come to know you this evening. And, and God, please, like it just, you know, it, it's, this is in your hands, but, but I'd really love for, for this to happen this evening and gave the opportunity at the end of a service and they didn't. And I just felt so, so deflated and like such a failure. And, um, a number of months later, they moved back to the city and have been coming ever since again. <laughs> and so it was one of those moments where I thought I had failed and I thought the story was done and I thought God was finished. Um, but he wasn't, the, mm. the painting is not over. The song has not been sung yet. Mm. And, um, so uh, I, 
there are those stories where, where we have these incredible moments, um, but then the beauty in the story continues later on. There's another, um, so the first number of years, um, Lifeline was in the back of the campus pub in, uh, it was called the VIP bar. So the campus pub is called the Ram and the Rye and in the back behind the pool tables, there's this like separate little room and, and that's where we were having church for a number of years. And, um, maybe three or four years into that, uh, I, I came in for our September launch, um, <laughs> and I noticed that they had done major construction and completely demolished the wall that separated the VIP room from the rest of the bar. And so it was just open air and the pool tables are like, you know, <laughs> five feet away, hundred percent. And yeah. so the sheer terror that I, we were supposed to, you know, start our, our, our service that night, like two hours later. And I was like, God, do we cancel? Do we, you know, do we try and find another venue? And I felt yeah. like God was like, no, like, step out of the boat, which is funny because the message that God had given me for that evening was stepping out of the boat, right? Walking Mm -hmm. on water. And God was like, why do you think I gave you that message? Right? It wasn't just for them. It was also for you. And so I was like, okay, God. And so we, we stepped out of the boat and, and we decided to still have church and it was messy and it was loud. You know, there would be moments in, in the months and years that followed. Again, there's, there's no door, there's no wall where we'd be in the middle of praying for a student who had, you know, just said that their family member had been diagnosed with cancer and we would be praying and somebody would start screaming at the top of their lungs or cursing or whatever, you know, four feet away from us drinking at the pool table and we'd have to stop for a second until they finished and then continue on. And so while it was messy, we would also have students who would wander into our area, so mm-hmm. to speak, um, simply because they heard music. They, they they heard someone talking. And I remember there was this one student and he came a half hour before service started and was like, Hey, what are you guys up to? You know, I heard you, you know, playing some music and jamming and, and, uh, you know, can I hang out with you guys? And we're like, absolutely. And so getting a chance to talk to this student for like a half hour and uh, talk about Jesus and, and share the gospel. And, you know, he shared that he was an atheist and didn't believe in God, but for whatever reason decided to stay all the way through worship and sang with us and jammed with us and, and got into it. And, and I was like, oh my gosh, like how cool is this, right? That yeah. we get to do this thing that students yep. just wander in because they 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 hear the song, right? Yeah. And um, didn't see that student for uh, years afterward. Like he just, you know, didn't come. And again, I was like, God, he came once and never came again. What did mm-hmm. I do wrong? Mm-hmm. And um, last year, I happened to run into that particular student at the campus groups fair. And, um, I, by the grace of God happened to remember his name and I, I, I said, Hey, you know, I dressed him by name. And he was like, Oh my gosh, like I haven't seen, I, you know, I can't believe you remember my name. And I was like, yeah, dude, like, how are you? You know, when we met all those years ago, you know, this is what you shared with me and you know, this is your story. And he was just flabbergasted that you remember that I remembered and, and seeing the look on his face that, that somebody remembered something from so long ago, mm. um, in this moment where the student center is crowded with hundreds of students everywhere, he just opened up and started sharing his story and what he was going through and, and, and the, the turmoil in his home and in his family and, it's one of those moments where me and my human nature, I wanted to do the thing where like, cool, I'm going to pray for you later this evening. And I was like, okay, God, like, you know, I'm, I'm ready to move on here. And mm-hmm. I felt like the spirit was like, no, I want you to pray for him right here, right now. And that's not my comfort zone. Like that's, <laughs> that's not me at all. And so I was like, Oh God. Um, and so I said like, Hey dude, like, you know, is, are you okay if, if, 
if I just pray for you right now? And he looked at me and, and he was like, yeah, like I'd, I'd like that. And so I laid hands on him and, and prayed for him right there. It's loud. There's, there's people everywhere, but got a chance to pray for him and his specific situation. And mm-hmm. I think for him, that was a reminder that the God that he didn't believe in still believed and remembered him. Wow. And so sometimes there's these moments where to me, it seems like this one-off opportunity, right? Where yeah. I feel like I'm sowing seed and nothing is happening. Nothing is growing. And I'm like, God, like, am I failing? And again, God reminds me that the song is not finished, right. that the symphony is not done, right? That mm-hmm. the painting is is still being painted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, so definitely lots of those stories where I leave feeling deflated, but, but God reminds me that he's not finished. It's definitely a, a lesson in patience with everything. And I'm doing. not naturally a patient person, so God well, I guess has to work on to me. <laughs> yes, he's <laughs> definitely working on me in that. Yeah. Um, so um, flip uh, flip your hat there for a minute mm-hmm. to your red frog hat yeah. and uh, tell people what is red frogs yeah. and uh, what's your role with red frogs? Yeah. So red frogs is an international support network that exists to safeguard a generation. So it started about 20 years ago. Uh, in Australia um, with a guy named Andy Gourley, and he was a, uh, a pastor at a local church who would go to st- skate parks and, and hang out with students, build a relationship and sew into them and, and, and be able to kind of disciple them uh, where they were mm-hmm. and, and, you know, invite them to come to church and uh, sow seeds. Mm-hmm. And um, in Australia, there's this thing called schoolies, which is basically after they graduate, it's like a week-long Mardi Gras-esque booze fest, like drugs, alcohol, sex, all the things. Um, And and there's no parental supervision. So 17,000 students descend on the Gold Coast in Australia, and it's just crazy. And so he knew, Andy knew that um, uh, these students that he had been um, sewing into for years were going to schoolies. And so he was like, I'm not just going to like abandon them and and just let them be there and, you know, um, potentially experience these harmful things. And so he, uh, tracked down which, which hotel that they were in. And, um, he was like, I'm going to go find them and, and, you know, try and be with them where they are. Tried to get in. And, uh, the security guard was like, nah, man, you're not getting in. And so he went to the local store and picked up a, bo- a bag of red frogs. Um, there's those, uh, chewy, candies. those chewy candies yep. in, in Australia, they call them red frogs lollies. And so he picked up a couple bags of those and went back to security guard and he was like, Hey man, I have some, some munchies for my kids. Can I like take them up? And he's like, Oh man, yeah, cool. And so he got in past the security guard and, you know, went and knocked on a bunch of doors and finally found them. And so that from there became his thing, that, that he would be present with students. And every time he would go, he would give out these little gummies in the shape of a red frog. Mm-hmm. And so he became known as like the red frogs dude. And fast forward 20 years, it's now in, in multiple countries. Um, it's in Australia, it's in New Zealand, it's in Poland, South Africa, United Kingdom, Canada, United States, etc. That strategy of going to be with students safeguarding a generation safeguarding exactly yeah. and so the reduction exactly yeah. and so instead yeah. of judging and picketing and, and things of that nature uh, knowing that students are going to party that they're going to do things that could potentially negatively impact their lives mm-hmm. we want to be there and be a positive peer presence in that atmosphere mm-hmm. and so the beauty is that when we do that when we serve with no strings attached we do hydration stations for example we'll give out you know thousands of cups of water um, gummies donuts, pancake breakfasts, cafe crawls. Um, We'll walk students back to their dorms to make sure that students are safe, not being um, assaulted or anything like that. When we do these things, um, almost every single time, the questions that students ask is why? 
Mm-hmm. Why are you doing this? And so evangelistically, it turns the tables because we're able to actually answer a question that they're asking instead of forcing an answer to a question that they're not asking us. Right. And so when they say, like, why are you doing this? It gives us an opportunity to begin to build a relationship, say, like, hey, we're doing this because we love you and because we love Jesus. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that conversation goes nowhere. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's, hey, man, bleep, whatever, da-da-da, not interested. Um, sometimes it, it opens up these really beautiful conversations. Like we were one time we gave this, this female student a cup of hot chocolate and it led to a half hour conversation on divine healing and prayer Hmm. just out on the streets, just outside of the student center because we were serving. Um, and so these beautiful opportunities, again, to your point, to reduce harm, to protect students from physical Mm -hmm. harms, but also to be an expression of Jesus generosity of his hands and feet, um, and to get a chance to share the gospel through relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got connected to Red Frogs a number of years ago. Um, Ryerson actually contacted Red Frogs Canada and said, hey, could you guys come? We're doing this event, this concert. So um, we, our first event, we did a hydration station. Uh, it was a concert at the end of Frosh Week to like big boom, hurrah, yay. Um, 6,000 students. It was outside on Gould Street, which is the main stretch that runs through campus. And the pivotal moment for me is, um, you know, our tent was set up in the back and um, the headlining artist was 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 performing. And, and I watched as 6,000 students sang every lyric, every verse of songs that were like just dipped, infused, steeped in drugs, sex, violence, and misogyny. And, and I stood there in the back with tears in my eyes thinking, God, like, this isn't okay. These are your kids. These are your prodigals. And, and that wasn't, you know, um, me coming to something new. That was just me coming to understand the father's heart for his kids just a little bit more. And so God kind of provoked this thought in me. What if there were, you know, hundreds and hundreds or thousands and thousands of students one day that were worshiping God, that instead of singing these songs that were dripping in sex, violence, drugs, et cetera, that were glorifying the God who, who is a lover of their souls. Mm. And so Red Frogs is an opportunity for us to tangibly be an expression of, right. of, of his love. Yeah, I, I often think of like when you go to uh, big, big events like that where you'll have St. John Ambulance, mm-hmm. you know, there's the, the, this team of people that are there mm-hmm. ready to, to respond to crisis. Exactly. And, uh, and Red Frogs has a similar kind of thing. It's mm-hmm. not medical, mm-hmm. but they'll help pe- get people to the medical exactly. help if they need it. Or, exactly. Uh, but that, that uh, presence... Mm-hmm. Um, or the, or the St. Bernard dog, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, going mm-hmm. to the fallen skier in the Alps. Totally. You know, to uh, to find them mm-hmm. and uh, to provide the living warmth that's 100%. needed. 100%. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Tell me about um, uh, Giselle. Um, we were hoping that uh, Giselle could have mm-hmm. been, been in on the interview with yeah. you, but yeah. she's, uh, I guess, uh, on vacation with family yeah. up in Peterborough. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, tell me about her. Yeah, so uh, Giselle, she was the first student that we ever had. So when we launched on September 10, 2013, um, we had met upwards of like a thousand students over the course of a year um, through like promoting and handing out cards. Hey guys, we're launching, you know, this, this, mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, and 
<laughs> so much blood, sweat, and tears went into it. And on, on that launch night, we had five students. And again, that was one of those moments where I felt so deflated, um, mm-hmm. where I, I walked away and being like, oh my gosh, God, what did I do wrong? But at the same time, one of those five was Giselle, mm. um, the first student that we ever had. And she became our first student leader. Um, she became our first student president when we got a group status. Like she was with us from day one. Wow. Um, and she, so you thought it was your calling, but it was hers. Oh my goodness gracious. Like she, it, it just like became sewn into the fabric of what lifeline is like wow. every step of the way she helped shape it into what it is. Like as much as God used me, he had been using her since the very beginning. And it's wow. so funny because we'd been praying for years. God, please give us another like full-time vocational staff person, like somebody who can minister side by side with mm-hmm. us mm-hmm. to these students and praying for years. Like, God, we, we know that you're going to bring this, like, who is this person? And, and right around the time that Giselle graduated, um, she had been applying to uh, a, a number of agencies in in her field that that she had gotten her degree in, and and uh, opportunities and indoors that that should have been like a guarantee. She's very good at, at, at what she does, at, mm-hmm. at what her degree is in. Um, it, those things just didn't pan out, and right in that time, God just kind of. Um, uh, slapped me in the face with, hello, it's Giselle. Like, <laughs> hello. Um, and, and so just made it really clear to me. And so, you know, we just prayed about it and prayed about it. And we just were like, oh my gosh, it's just, how did we not see this? And so I remember so clearly meeting with Giselle in our little office on campus um, our office is like a closet. You can fit two chairs and that's pretty much it. And, um, so meeting with her in, in our office and, and, you know, sharing the history of Lifeline, even though she, she'd known, right. She was with us since mm-hmm. day one. And, and I was like, Giselle, we've been praying for years that God would bring us a staff was person. Was she part of the team that was praying? That prayer, or was that more just? You? Um, we had probably talked to her like about mm-hmm. how we like we were looking for that, but again, never put two and two um, yeah. together in yeah. in in our mind that like it would be Giselle, um, and so, you know, I, I shared with her, and I was like, Giselle, we we really we really feel like it's you, and as I'm sharing this, she is like crying and not like initially it started as one of those like ah oh, like you know like a cw or like a hallmark movie like it is beautiful cry right it, at a certain point turns into kind of like a a, a less beautiful cry right and got, so by the time snotty. i had finished sharing it was it was more of a sobbing um Aww. kind of cry and Aww. uh and i was like Ooh, did I, like have i messed up did i say something wrong here like yeah and um and she was like, oh my gosh, like this mm-hmm. makes so much sense. Like, wow. and it, it, it just felt like, you know, two Lego pieces clicking together, right? Mm-hmm. Something, she, you know, she didn't understand why all these job opportunities weren't working out. And as soon as we shared, it was like something in her spirit clicked, something in our spirit clicked. And so um, she went through the process to become a Mission Canada worker, mm-hmm. to get credentials, to mm-hmm. fundraise. Um, and through that process, she like apprenticed with us and, and was kind of working um, with us uh, without being paid, essentially. She mm-hmm. was working, you know, another job to, to pay her bills. Um, 
And so this last September, she officially got deployed full-time. So she's been working uh, full-time with us on staff um, since this last uh, September. And so interestingly, um, early on, I, I had this idea that like success in ministry was numbers. Like it was like crowds and like stages and lights and smoke and like all this kind of stuff. And, and, uh, and, and lifeline has never been that. Hmm. And so, uh, God very much impressed upon me the story of Ananias that, um, before Saul became Paul, there was this like little known dude named Ananias who God called to pray for effectively a terrorist, right? Mm -hmm. Kind of somebody who nobody would have expected. And Ananias plays this role, this pivotal role in the transformation of him, you know, going from Saul to radical change in character and becoming like a pillar in the faith and causing, you know, the expansion of, of, of the church as we know it. And so God kind of impressed upon me this, this idea that, um, I think a lot of us want to be Paul. We want to be the one, you know, speaking to thousands. We want to be the Billy Grahams. We want to be crusades and, and, you know, the, um, not negative term, yeah. um, but just these these massive moves. We want, we want to be the front man or the front exactly. Woman. Yeah. And more often than not, we're called to be the man before the man or the person before the person, the person mm. who leads Billy Graham to Jesus or Mother Teresa or yeah. you know, insert um, world changer here. Mm. And so God was like, stop trying to be the big massive thing and start looking for Paul. Mm-hmm. Start looking for the person who's going to change the world and be content and uh, in in um, being the person before the person. Find the next Paul. And so um, I feel like Giselle is is one of the first Pauls mm-hmm. that 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 has has come out of Lifeline. That that we were gifted this opportunity to 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 disciple her. That God mm-hmm. entrusted her to us, mm-hmm. and that she is now in full time vocational ministry. And she was she is doing things that I can't do. She is reaching people that I can't reach. She is um, this like mother figure, this aunt figure to so many of our young women and is able to help them find their identity in Jesus and is able to reach them in a way that I'll never be able to. And so... Um, whether or not she sees that in herself, that, that is how I see Giselle as kind of the, um, this, uh, yeah, the, the, the first Giselle, if you're listening to this podcast, listen up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Somebody's trying to tell you something here. Yeah. She's, uh, we're, we're so thankful for her. And also just to clarify, she was not living a Saul-esque life before, but just in that, um, you know, us being able to play a role as the person before the person. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Ananias, uh, had the, um, had a very simple task, Mm -hmm. but a very daunting task Mm -hmm. to go and uh, pray for the reconciliation in Paul. Mm -hmm. And uh, once Jesus did the reconciling work, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm sure that until Ananias was an old man with grandkids, he Mm -hmm. probably was telling the story. I went and I prayed with that guy. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, 
Tell, let's, uh, I haven't had an opportunity uh, to use the buzzword yet, mm-hmm. so uh, let's pivot yeah. here and uh, talk a little bit about uh, uh, you and your family. Mm-hmm. Uh, so tell me about your wife and yeah. your kids. Yeah, so uh, I am married to Kristen. She mm-hmm. is uh, my best friend. Um, I... <sighs> I love her more now today than I did when we got married. Not because I didn't love her back then, but my capacity for love and my understanding for love, I feel like has just grown so much Hmm. and still a long way to go. Still so much to learn, but I, um, yeah, I, I just love her so much. And so we uh, we have two kids. Emma is five and Sam just turned two. And they are incredible and they are mischievous and beautiful and wild and wonderful and confusing and complicated <laughs> and frustrating all at the same time. And uh, so we're thankful that God has entrusted these future world changers to us and yeah. get a chance to, to raise them together. Kristen works for an organization called Global 180 mm-hmm. um, and they get a chance to to kind of do youth ministry outside the box in the Mm -hmm. community, outside the four walls of the church. Um, And so they do that in in a number of different ways. Um, And so we are involved in each other's respective ministries and callings. Um, And so it's kind of... um, Two different shared dreams, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. that that are connected, and we're both able to be involved in these things and sow in seeds uh, and serve in each other's ministries and, and, and vocations behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, that's the beautiful gist of my this, family. This has been um, uh, during the uh, the shutdown season. Uh, this has been a very stressful um, time for pretty much everybody, mm-hmm. and uh, yet also I think a time of um, you know uh, uncovering, mm-hmm. you know uh, unveiling yeah. um, what's what's going on inside us, uh, but also the the unveiling of what what might God be up to, mm-hmm. and. Uh, so I, I just wonder, you know, through this time, um, how has this time affected you? Mm-hmm. Um, how's it affected uh, your wife? And, and and what are you, what are you learning in this season mm-hmm. that you might not have learned if you were spending the summer ramping up mm-hmm. to be full blown mm-hmm. on campus, which you can't right now. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. this has shifted everything. So in the shift. Uh, what, what are some of the dust bunnies that you discovered mm-hmm. in the corner? What mm-hmm. are some of the things that have surprised you, mm-hmm. uh, or, uh, you have become more aware of? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, there's positives and negatives. I think mm-hmm. that, that this pandemic has revealed, um, I don't know in myself that it's necessarily created new issues so much as it's revealed ones that were already there, to your yeah. point, dust bunnies in the corner. Yeah. Um, and so there's definitely been some of that, trying to uh, clean dust. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say one of those things is um, busyness, mm-hmm. um, I think, is in ministry elevated mm-hmm. and um, celebrated 
uh, mm-hmm. pastors who are workaholics, that is like applauded yep. until it's not, until it leads to uh, a fall. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I don't... <laughs> I don't want to be one of the people uh, in ministry who work so hard to um, build church and sacrifice family. Mm. Uh, and um, you know, I've got I've got my own journey and my own kind of family history with that. But um, I I want to be someone that is intentional about. Um, pastoring my family first yeah. and um, leading my family first and living with margin so that mm-hmm. God can still write in write in the margin and still breathe life. And so it's not something that I'm naturally good at. I, I like to um, be busy. Mm-hmm. Um, and recently read this book by John Mark Comer called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry mm. um, and very much about uh, slowing down and about how Jesus was never in a hurry. Um, that we don't see Jesus running. We don't see Jesus, you know, out of breath. Um, that Jesus is, is, uh, has this slow rhythm, this slow pace, mm. um, and often taking time away to, to, to pray and to think and to commune with the father. And so something that we probably all know, but yeah. for whatever reason, this book just really was like, whoa like well, i need to and that's so countercultural yes. to the life of a, a university student yes or anybody that's uh you know in in the race downtown 100 percent. Yeah. yeah so so do you feel that there's a uh, uh something emerging there for you about being slower yeah um i'm trying to be more intentional about it um not not always successful one of the things that he talks about in the book is that often the um the the cause of hurry what what propels this need to hurry and and be busy is often feelings of inadequacy Mm -hmm. um and insecurity that we try and compensate and make ourselves feel more valuable um by doing stuff all the time. God, look what I'm doing. Hey, people, look what I'm doing. You know, look what I'm building. And so um, that's something that I've recognized in myself and something that God has for years been saying, breathe, slow down. And something that God has been saying to me for a while that I'm still trying to learn is that our value is simply completely in our identity. And our identity is that we're a child of God mm-hmm. and nothing mm-hmm. that I say or do will ever add to or take away from that. So no matter what I build or don't build or do or don't do, nothing will ever change that identity. And there's something really freeing about that. Absolutely. Still forget it at times and still kind of default back into that, woo, like we're doing all this stuff. Yep. Um, do you like the the rush? Um. I, I think I like the how the rush makes me feel successful. Right. Um, and I hate that the rush makes me feel successful. Uh, <laughs> and, j- you know, just, just being honest. You're a mess, I don't, yeah, You're a I mess. am, I, you know. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to find success in that. And yeah. so I think it's, a slow process of God kind of undoing and, and unlearning that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Learning about your seasons and yeah. your times, yeah, right? For sure. There's a time to be busy and there's yeah. a, 
a time to to stop yeah and a time to rest yeah yeah. 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 I also think, you know, positively it's, it's helped me, um, reflect on, um, playing to our strengths. Mm-hmm. Uh, I growing up, uh, you know, seeing parents who, who are pastors, I, um, not that they ever said this or, you know, taught this, but, but I had this idea based on, um, you know, all of the preachers, pastors that I saw at events and things like that, that a pastor was this like one kind of person that they were hyper extroverted, that they were super charismatic speaker, that they were, you know, dominated all the things and they were just this kind of one thing. And, um, again, a, a slow process of God showing me that there's, for there's so many different kinds of pastors, you know, yeah. every kind of personality and, and gifting mix. And, you know, instead of always focusing on, I don't have that gift, mm. um, playing to strengths, um, mm. and, and leaning into the gifts that, that God has, not that we can't, you know, fine tune things, but, mm-hmm. um, instead of trying to be something that I'm not being who God has made me to be and, um, yeah. understanding my personality is such and, and fine tuned for me to be able to, to, to sow seeds at Ryerson and mm-hmm. to welcome prodigal sons and daughters home at Ryerson. Um, it, there's something really freeing about that. Yeah. Dave, I want to thank you for your time today. And and before we go, I'm gonna gonna ask you if you would actually um, uh, pray mm. uh, in in proxy for uh, students of uh, post secondary right across Canada. Mm. And and if we start to add up those numbers, uh, it's in the hundreds of thousands, if mm. not you know over a million. I don't mm. know. Maybe you know the stats, but. There, there are definitely hundreds of thousands of students, uh, many right now, who uh, are um, being delayed mm-hmm. because they can't go, in many cases, to that campus uh, in September 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have to be online uh, or uh, they have labs, but they don't have live classes the, the student life aspects mm-hmm. uh, are are not there, and um, it, it it seems like such a kairos moment, one of those unique times that God can really use. And mm. uh, I would like you to, uh, if you would, just uh, pray for um, students from coast to coast, mm. uh, and uh, just uh, just that. Uh, you know, uh, they would be able to discern mm. the Lord mm-hmm. in, during this time. And mm. who knows what kind of things God wants to awaken mm-hmm. and what God wants to do. So would you just mm. uh, close us out in prayer mm-hmm. today? Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, Papa, we thank you um, for the fact that in this season of, of difficulty and um suffering and and angst to this pandemic that we're all walking through. I thank you that you are not absent, that you are not an absentee father. You are not a distant God, but that you are near, that you are close, that you are here, God, for every person that is listening to these words, watching or listening to this podcast, God, that you are in their midst. Um, And so, God, I, I ask that you would 
as Kevin said, reawaken something in us that, uh, as in the Psalms, David says, you would awake my soul, that you would awake our soul, that you would open our eyes and ears to, to your glory all around us. God, that we might be filled with a deep sense of wonder of the God who, who created all, the sun, the moon, the stars, and, and us, God, that, that, that you that you desperately love your creation. So, Father, I pray for every student on post-secondary campuses across our nation, God, uh, as they are preparing and, and trying to figure out what September is going to look at. God, I, uh, I, I ask that you would begin to awaken or reawaken something in each one of them, God, mm-hmm. that, that they would begin to feel the call of your Holy Spirit to come home. And God, that the campus ministries and and, in local churches across our nation, God, that you would awaken us, God, give us a a renewed passion, a renewed zeal to be able to welcome prodigal sons and daughters home. God, may you give students clarity as to what to do and, and how to do it. God, may this fall not be a season of of pause or uh, a season of a means to an end, but Father, may we recognize that your presence is still moving, that that the song is still being sung, that the painting is still being painted, and and God, may you open our eyes and our ears to that. Uh, May you awake our souls, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'll give a big old hearty amen to that, too. Thank you, David. And uh, so glad that you could be be here with me in downtown Hamilton today Mm. to to have this conversation. And uh, you and your family and Giselle uh, are in my prayers for Mm. the the work that God has ahead Mm. at Ryerson University. And I would invite all the listeners to be praying for you as well. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. You're welcome. Pleasure. And that's David Burke. I really like that guy. He also, along with his wife, Kristen, uh, have uh, a series that they've started on YouTube. Uh, David uh, is very candid and open uh, on his, their YouTube series uh, about struggles that he had early in life with mental health. And uh, we're gonna put a link to, the, to David and Kristen on YouTube uh, in our show notes, as well as uh, other links where you can uh, connect with uh, David and Lifeline uh, at uh, Ryerson. And uh, I would also encourage you, if, uh, if you're looking for uh, a worthy cause, to uh, go in our show notes, find the link, and uh, do what you can to support the work of, of David. On our next episode, uh, we're uh, going to be talking to Debbie Kunst from Father's House in downtown Edmonton. Downtown Edmonton, like most major centers, has uh, some pockets of extreme poverty. And Debbie is a pastor uh, who runs a church called Father's House. It's a church, but it's it's a mission, uh, but it's a church. And uh, I think, um, you know, we need uh, lots of urban churches like Father's House. So stay tuned to our next episode dropping on the first of the month to hear Debbie Kunst, my interview with her. And uh, 
I hope that uh, you're enjoying our uh, podcast. Uh, we're endeavoring to talk to people all across the nation doing incredible uh, things in urban ministry. Well, until next time, you know who I am. I'm Kevin Rogers, and this is Sidewalk Skyline. Thanks for listening.